Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, really teach us your Sabbath rest. Teach us, Lord, your Sabbath prayer. God, I pray this morning that your word would go forth uh, in, in your power, not in mine, and your wisdom, not in mine, and let it find fertile soil, O oh God, to, to be cultivated and to bear fruit. Have your way, we pray this morning. Amen. I wasn't quite sure what to title this message. Your bulletin says, Party Time, and that'd be appropriate. Another title might be, Sabbath Prayer. Another title might be, Romantic Prayer, or maybe Party Prayer, something like that. You, you listen to the sermon and, and give me the title. We're continuing our series on prayer. And what I want to talk about this morning is the prayer of rest, the prayer of party, the prayer of the Sabbath. But the first question I have this morning that I want to ask is, is, is this. Why do people get married? You probably were thinking that question as I was even, uh, you know, as Paul was reading that verse. It was probably, or maybe you came to church asking that question, I don't know. Why do people get married? Could you turn on the lights a little bit? I, I can't see the back. Yeah, during worship, you can turn down, but I, I like to see the whites of their eyes. See what I'm talking about. See if you're falling asleep. <laughs> I think pe people get married because, I would hope, they enjoy one another. I mean, they got a lot of reasons for getting married, but I hope that when all is said and done, they get married because they enjoy one another. You enjoy being around a person more than you enjoy being away from them. That'd be a minimal reason for uh, getting married. You have fun together, you're in love. Those are your reasons for getting married. That's kind of the essence of your relationship. There's a joy there. There's a, a, a funness there. It adds to your life. There's a fulfillment there. But it happens once in a while, does it not, that sometimes issues get in the way of that joy that a married couple is to have together. I mean, when you get married, you know there's going to be issues, you know there's going to be problems, you know there's going to be struggles. Everyone has those. That's just part of the territory. It's part of the package that you get. When you get married, the, the struggles and the trials are supposed to be the footnote. You know, that, that's, that goes with marriage, but that is not the marriage. What the marriage is is the, is the joy that you have together. But it happens sometimes that the struggles, instead of being the footnote to the marriage, become the marriage. Not, not, not one amen. They sort of swallow you up like quicksand, and, and pretty soon the original reason you had for getting married is gone, and you find that you're involved in all struggles and all trials and, and all this other kind of stuff, and it can happen so fast. It can happen just by an incidental comment. Something as innocent as saying, honey, I, I really liked the dinner tonight. This was a dinner. And maybe it was the fact that the kids were stressing her out or she had a bad day or didn't get enough sleep, but she goes, you mean my dinners aren't ordinarily good? And you go, uh-oh. <laughs> the guy goes, no, no, honey, I didn't mean that. I, I just wanted to say that this was an excellent dinner. I, I, it was a nice thing to say. And she says, not when you're sitting in the middle of a McDonald's. <laughs> Why do you always have to bring up the fact that I'm not a good cook? I told you before we got married that I wasn't a very good cook. Why do you always have to bring this up? 
He says, I didn't mean anything bad. I, I wasn't trying to slam your cooking. I, you know, I, I didn't marry you for your cooking. I, 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 I knew that. I, I didn't marry you for your cooking. She goes, well, see, my cooking really is that bad, isn't it? Why don't you try cooking? And the guy goes, my cooking is even worse than yours. She grabs the McDonald's knife and starts playing with it. And besides, I do everything else around the house. You start using words like everything and always and never. Very dangerous words. I do everything else around the house. And then she stands up. She goes, you say that again. You what? I do a lot of things around the house. I don't have time to cook. What do you do around the house? And the guy goes, well, I, I, when then I just, don't you remember, I fixed that light, that, that, that light socket in the wall? Why, just a little while ago, I fixed that light socket. It was dangling from the wall. Remember, it was dangling from the wall, and I fixed that. And she goes, honey, that was in 1987, and you didn't even fix it. You tried to fix it, and you got mad, and that's how it got ripped out of the wall. My dad had to come over and fix it. And then the guy goes, you always have to bring up this fact that I'm not a good handyman. We're going to go around this thing again, this miracle round again. We've been over this a hundred times. I told you before we got married that I wasn't a good handyman. Why do you always have to bring that up? And she says, I'm not trying to rub it in. I'm just saying, saying a fact that you're not the one who does things around the house. I am. I do the, the cleaning. I do the cooking. I do the laundry. I sweep the floor. I vacuum the rugs. I make the bed. I pick up your dirty underwear. You never help out around the house. If it wasn't for me, this house would be a total pigsty. I'm the only one who gives a rat's hair about what's going on in this house, or what this house looks like. Things are getting a little tense, a little, little hot. The guy goes, oh, that's not true. That's not true at all. Just, la just last night, mark my words, last night I picked up your blouse that was on the floor right here in the middle of the living room. Your blouse. She goes, I threw it there on purpose because I was so mad. I was trying to talk with you, trying to share with you my day and my feelings, and you had your stupid head buried in that basketball game, and you wouldn't pay, a, a, you wouldn't pay attention to anything I was saying. And he says, I was paying attention. She goes, oh, yeah, you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, sure, honey, yeah. And no matter what I say, you say that. You never, you never listen to my feelings. And then it seems like all of a sudden the issues start to escalate, and it, like, like, like the, the, the atom bomb at Hiroshima just sort of explodes, and it just floods the whole place and the issues start to swallow you up. And, and, and if you fast forward this conversation about, conversation about 10 minutes, they're off on some other tangent that has nothing to do with the original issue of cooking. You never told me, she says, when we got married that you'd be spending every Saturday morning for eight hours playing golf with your buddies. And he says, well, you never told me before we got married that you were going to be so possessive of my time. And she says, well, you never told me that we'd be so broke because you'd be spending all your money playing golf. And he says... Cha. <laughs> you, you know things are going downhill when they start talking in Wayne's world language. <laughs> As if the reason why we're so broke is because you go out spending all the time, you're addicted to credit cards and we can't afford it, and you go out and always buy all this stuff. And she goes, well, the reason I go out and buy so much is because I'm so depressed because our marriage is so lousy, it's always been lousy, and it always will be lousy. Things just goes downhill. Get a little tense, get a little hot, get a little bothered. I know no one has a marriage here that ever does that, but other people once in a while have that kind of problem. The issues start to swallow up, and you forget the original reason why you got married in the first place. And these things can go on for days. Sometimes this, this issue is, you know, the harder you try to fix the thing, the worse it seems to get. I call it the quicksand syndrome. You ever have that happen to you? You try to fix something, you try to remedy it, and, and the more you try to 
tinker with it, the worse it gets. Every time I try to fix anything, I have the quicksand syndrome. It's that way in relationships. And it can go on for days, it can go on for weeks, it can go on for months, it can go on for years. All, the, 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 the relationship becomes an, a relationship of issues, problems. What fuels the quicksand syndrome is the fact that we believe, we Americans believe that, sort of our American myth, that if you just concentrate on a problem long enough, you can solve it. If you just perseverate, just focus in on the problem and work at it and try hard and struggle with it, that you can fix anything, you can remedy anything. It's an optimism of the will, that with willpower and determination, we can get through anything, we can conquer any fortress. No problem is too great, we can accomplish anything. And so when problems arise, sometimes we fix on them and we just... And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. The thing you got to know is this. When you're in quicksand, struggling hard doesn't help at all. In fact, when you're in quicksand, the harder you struggle, the harder you struggle, the faster you sink. What you need to do in quicksand, having been there many times myself, is you need to, lay, you need to act like you're not about ready to die. You need to act like you're not about ready to be swallowed up by the sand and, and, and you're going to suffer a nightmarish, terrible death. You need to pretend like that's not going to happen. You need to lay your body out over the sand and act like you're getting a suntan and float and just ever so casually, ever so nonchalantly, gradually move yourself to shore. That's how you get out of quicksand. Sometimes I think in marriage, and you can extrapolate this to any kind of relationship, but... Marriage is the one that comes to mind. In a marriage, you need to struggle, you need to work, you need to fight. That's part of the stuff. It goes with the territory. But in a marriage, if that's all you do, if your entire relationship is struggling and fighting, then you don't have much of a marriage. You're being swallowed up by the issues. And sometimes what you need to do in a marriage, I know you're all wondering, how does this tie into prayer? I'll find a way to fit it in somehow. Sometimes what you got to do when, you're, when things start to get thick, when that Hiroshima mushroom cloud begins to swallow up your relationship, is you need to call a time out. You need to call a ceasefire, not a Saddam Hussein ceasefire, a real ceasefire where you say, no more, time out, break, and go back to the original reason why you got married. You need to sometimes quit struggling about the problems and take a little bit of time where you bracket them and try to float over your issues, float over your problems. How do you float? Here's where I float. Sometimes in my marriage, when things start to get a little tense, it happens. Things get a little, little rough. Air's getting kind of thick. She's picking up the McDonald's knife. I say, honey, I feel it's time to bop she bop. You wanna... It's time to go hear the white sidewalls. You ever heard the white sidewalls? Great 50s group. It's time to cut loose and, and go hear a bad moon arising and, and rock around the clock tonight and, and sing to blue moon, you let me stand, and grease our hair back and just do, have some fun. Let's go to the Bell Ray and, and hear the white sidewalls play and just forget about our problems for a while and have a good time. Have a good time. Bop, shoo, bop. Who put the, who put the, how's that song go? Who put the, who put the bop in the bop, shoo, bop, shoo, bop? 
Who put the ram and the ram? I can tell a lot of people come from charismatic backgrounds. They know who put the bop and the bop shabop shabop. Who put the ram and the ram lama ding dong? Who was that man? I'd like to shake his hand. He made my babies fall in love with me. It's time to call a break to this and get back to the original reason and enjoy one another. Or sometimes we say something like, "It's time to go out. We need to go out. Let's go out to an expensive restaurant. Let's let's go out to some place we can't afford. Let's just be totally irresponsible. It's so fun to be irresponsible. Let's just." Throw caution to the wind and, and let the checks bounce and sneer Visa card in the face. And say hasta la vista to MasterCard and snub NSP and forget the bills, forget the problems, forget the kids. Let's just go out and be irresponsible and eat food we can't afford. Or sometimes we just say it's time to schmooze. It's time to call a break to this and get back to the original reason and enjoy one another. Or sometimes we say something like, it's time to go out. We need to go out. Let's go out to an expensive restaurant. Let's, let's go out to some place we can't afford. Let's just be totally irresponsible. It's so fun to be irresponsible. Let's just throw caution to the wind and, and let the checks bounce and sneer Visa card in the face. And say hasta la vista to MasterCard and snub NSP and forget the bills, forget the problems, forget the kids. Let's just go out and be irresponsible and eat food we can't afford. Or sometimes we just say it's time to schmooze. It's time to call a break to this, bracket the problems, and let's just put on some nice music, set the mood, lay down next to the fireplace. And we don't have a fireplace. <laughs> That's a very unfortunate thing, too, because my wife melts around fireplaces. I don't know what it is about that fire, but I know because the house I grew up in had a fireplace when we were dating. I, <laughs> I, I used it, OK. <laughs> We were godly, but you know, now what we do is we just light candles and pretend like it's a fireplace. <laughs> you need to take a break. A time where you affirm, a time where you affirm, yes, there's issues, but we love one another unconditionally. Yes, there's problems, but we enjoy being around each other. Yes, yeah, sometimes there's struggles. But we can have fun together. And that's why we got into this in the first place. That's why we're willing to take on these issues. But let's never let the issues start to swallow us up. Let's never become a relationship of issues where they get in the way about what really matters. And what really matters is our time together, our affirmation of one another. Our culture's got a serious problem in its work ethic. And this is going to sound wrong. And that just shows, I think, how seriously wrong our problem is. There are some people who need to hear the message that you've got to work harder. Yes. But there's also an awful lot of us who have bought that message too much, and we say you got to work first and play later. Work first and rest later. Resting and playing and having fun and enjoying things is sort of like a footnote to what life is really about. What life is really about is work. A person's value is determined by their effort, by their trying hard, by their striving. And so resting and all that other kind of stuff, enjoying life, is, is a luxury. It's, a, it's an add-on. It's a footnote. It's peripheral to what really counts. See, but the only problem is that the only way you ever keep problems from swallowing you up is to spend time enjoying one another. The only way to keep problems in perspective is to have times where you just love one another. The only time, the only way you can keep from drowning in the quicksand of issues is to have a time, a central time, where you celebrate the fact that you're together, that you have an unconditional love and commitment to one another. This is not peripheral. Enjoying life is not secondary. Having fun is not an addendum to what life is really about. Having joy isn't a secondary concern. It is foundational. It is foundational. 
Those times where you bracket the problems, those times where you just put steel walls around your issues and you say, let's just focus in on you and me, enjoy one another, have fun together, party together, romance one another, that's what builds the foundation. Because that's why you got married in the first place. And out of that foundation of fun and out of that foundation of joy, you get an energy and a motivation to start to work through the issues. That's why you're working through the issues in the first place. It's because you enjoy being around one another. But if you lose that enjoying of one another, then the issues become overwhelming and you don't have the motivation. Pretty soon you don't feel like even trying. It's the foundation that gives motivation to everything else in our life. In our marriages, the foundation of enjoyment provides motivation and energy and strength to work through the issues. With our kids, that's another... With our kids, sometimes it becomes all issues. It's all issues. There's so much to harp at, so much to discipline, so much to correct, and it can become one big hollering match. That's your entire relationship. The foundation to do that effectively is when you can take time and go to a concert together or go to a ball game together or go to a park together and say, listen, we'll talk about the issues tomorrow or next week or whatever, but right now, let's just enjoy one another. That's foundational. This is what I would call the Sabbath principle. And it is, I believe, the only way to avoid quicksand in all areas of our life. God, from the very foundation, created a Sabbath. He said that you should, this is not after the fall, this is before the fall. It's built into the way we are. It's built into our life. It's built into the creation. One day out of seven should be a day of rest. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease. A time where you just cease from your striving, cease from your struggles, cease from your worry, cease from the issues, and just do what God created us to do, and that is to enjoy life. The Sabbath principle. And that's why he took great concerns throughout the Old Testament to teach his people this principle. It applies, I think, to every area of our life. In, 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 in the Old Testament, not only did they take every seven days as a day of rest, but every seven years they gave the earth a break. Give the earth a break. Don't till it. Stay, save up food in, in six years. And on the seventh year, don't till the ground at all. Give the earth a break. And every 50 years was called the year of Jubilee. It was like a major Sabbath where you canceled all debts, canceled all obliga obligations, gave property back to the original owners, and everyone had a festival. The Sabbath principle is the principle of rest. The principle whereby, not applying it here to keeping a particular day or time or whatever, separate but keeping some time separate. The Lord says, keep the, whole, the, keep the Sabbath holy. The word holy simply means set apart. Set a time apart where you cease from your struggles and you cease from your striving. Now, you're still asking the question. I know you are. I can hear you thinking it. What has this got to do with prayer? It's got everything to do with prayer. One of the major struggles issues that I think is absolutely ep epidemic in our times in evangelical circles is that our Christianity is sometimes swallowed up in the quicksand of issues. Teaching at a Christian college, I see hundreds of Christians each year that are being drowned in the quicksand of theology. Their whole Christianity, their whole relationship with God is one big issue. When they pray, it's about issues. When they think about God, it's about issues. Their whole Christianity is one big chore, one big obligation. 
It takes a lot of different forms. Some people, they walk around with a perpetual voice in the back of their head, spouting issues at them, that they don't pray enough, and they don't fast enough, and they don't go to church enough, and they don't tithe enough, and they don't work enough, and they don't do this enough, they don't evangelize enough. It's never enough. Always issues that are there. They never really move into a Sabbath of peace, a Sabbath of joy with God. Perpetual issues. For other people, they're not the problem. But they're still swallowed up in issues. They look at the church and they see a lot of issues. They look at the world and they see a lot of issues. And there are a lot of issues. But that defines what their Christianity is about. And what's forever on their mind is the thought that the church really isn't doing what the church should do and we're not preaching the way the church should preach and we're not worshiping the way the church should worship and we should be more involved in more social action and going against racism more and doing this more, that more. And they're all, those are all good issues. But that defines a person's relationship with God just like in a bad marriage. The issues define your relationship with one another. Swallowed by the issues. And they buy into the try-harder syndrome. That, that American myth I talked about earlier where you believe that if you just perseverate on a problem enough, if you just focus on a problem enough and try hard enough and struggle hard enough, then someday, someway, somehow, way beyond the blue, we're going to conquer this thing. We're going to finally arrive and enjoy God and finally someday move into the celebrating things of God. But it's always somewhere down the road. Right now, they're just struggling and trying. And as a result, these are Christians. And this is epi epidemic in evangelical circles. Christians that are perpetually tired, like people in a bad marriage. Tired. It's like always the issues, always the problems, always the struggles. And that's all there is to it. I agree that there's a lot of problems in the church today. There always have been, have been and there always will be until the Lord takes us home. We don't pray enough, yes. We don't fast enough. We don't uh, contribute enough to the church. We don't do this enough. We don't evangelize enough individually. And the church doesn't do enough social action. The church doesn't preach against sin enough. Or you can get a list that's four miles long. And that's all true. Major problems in the church today. But I don't believe that that is the central problem in the church today any more than I believe that the issues are the central problem in a marriage that's falling apart. The most fundamental problem, I believe, in the church today is that we've forgotten about the Sabbath. We've forgotten about the Sabbath principle. I think the most fundamental problem with the church today is that Christians have forgotten how to have fun, how to enjoy Jesus, how to party with the Lord, how to just rest in the Lord, how to bracket their problems. We've forgotten what the essence of the whole thing is about. Apart from all the issues, we've forgotten how to float on a relationship with the Lord that at least at times in our life transcends the issues that plague our life. The Lord saved us. Not so that we could become encumbered with a million different issues. There are a lot of issues that we take on when we accept the Lord's salvations, but that isn't what defines our salvation. The Lord saved us because he enjoys us. The Lord saved us because he delights in us. The Lord saved us so that he could share his joy with us. The Lord saved us because the Bible says we're the apple of his eye. The Lord saved us so that we could go into an eternal celebration, an eternal party and banquet with him. The Lord didn't send Jesus Christ down to earth and die for our sins so that we could be encumbered with a million different issues. That is the footnote. What is central, the reason why the Lord saved us is because he delights in us. 
The Bible says it was for the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the sufferings of the cross. It gives God joy to save us, joy to forgive us, joy to redeem us, joy to sanctify us. Joy is what it's all about. And that's why we get into Christianity in the first place. That's why the Lord saves us in the first place. It's the joy that forms the foundation of that relationship. Having fun, enjoying God, is not a peripheral, secondary, minor footnote thing in Christianity. It is the essence of Christianity. The joy of the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you're swallowed up by issues. Now you're here this morning and you hear this message like you hear every message with a second voice going on in your head. And the voice that tells you that you have the same old problems you've always had, the same old sin struggles, the same old habits, the same old failures. You always feel like a second-class Christian. You always feel like you're never quite breaking through to the other side. You always feel like you're just kind of out of things. You're always on the edge of things. And you hold the myth that someday you're going to wake up and you're going to want to change. You're going to will to change. You're going to try harder to change. But until then, you always just sort of live beneath the surface and the issues define your entire relationship with God. And the enemy tells you that until you solve your issues, you really don't have a right to enter into worship fully. You really don't have a right to be on fire for God. First, you've got to get the issues done. You've got to work first and play later, and you never get around to playing. Okay, fine, you've got the issues. That's, that, that's all right. We'll preach on that sometime. Wonderful. But don't ever forget what the essence of the whole thing is about. And that is to have a good time with the Lord. That is to enjoy the Lord amidst the struggles, amidst the problems. I can tell you this, that until you learn how to have a Sabbath rest with God, a Sabbath prayer with God, a time of fellowship where you just enjoy being around Jesus and look at his joy in being around you, until you can have that in the middle of all your issues and in the middle of all your struggles, You'll never have the energy to work through those struggles. You're not going to someday wake up and all of a sudden have the willpower in some magical way to, to kick the habit or to change this or to change that of your life. The only time you have energy, like in a marriage, the only time you have energy to go forward in the things of God is when you have the foundation of joy and the foundation of peace and just enjoying God. Never forget, I don't care what your issues are, how severe they are, never forget what the Lord told us about what God thinks about us. In Luke 15, when he says that the shepherd... Went out looking for the lost sheep, left the 99, went out looking for that one lost sheep, and he finally found that lost sheep. And when he did, he grabbed that lost sheep and, and, and held it close to his bosom and ran home. And he called his relatives and he called his friends and he called his neighbors, and he threw one heck of a party. And Jesus said, that's how it is. All the angels in heaven rejoice. All the angels in heaven rejoice. And God the Father rejoices when a sinner comes to repentance. Have a time where you just stop and listen and, and cease from the self-criticism and cease from the self-accusations and just listen to the fact that there's a party going on over you, a party going on over you, and God's the head of the party, and the angels are rejoicing in the party over the fact that a sinner has come to repentance. And I can assure you of this, that shepherd didn't care much about how beat up that sheep was. That sheep maybe had a broken leg, maybe had a bloody nose, maybe had bruises all over it, but it, it didn't bother the shepherd at all because what was important was that the sheep was once lost, but now the sheep is found. And that is worth celebrating. Getting a healthy sheep will come later. Getting a sheep without a broken leg, that will come down the road. But right now, with the broken leg, with the bloody nose, we're going to celebrate and have a party. And so it is now. The only way you're ever going to get healthy 
is by learning how in the midst of all your struggles, however tough they may be, by entering into that unconditional love of God and rest and enjoying God. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've had moral failures in your life, serious moral failures. And because of that, your family's falling apart and your kids are out doing something they ought not be doing. You've got no control of your household. And because of that, you feel like your ministry is destroyed. You feel like your witness is destroyed. You're always going to be a second-class Christian. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're one of these people that's forever beating themselves up about not reading the Bible enough and not fasting enough and not witnessing enough and not praying enough, etc., etc., etc. Okay, fine. Legitimate issues. We'll preach on those next week. But have a time where you bracket that stuff and get back to the basics. Get back to what's foundational. Get back to what's the essence of the whole thing. And it's not how good your marriage is or isn't, and it's not how well your kids are or aren't. What is foundational to the whole thing is what does Jesus Christ think about you and enjoying what Jesus Christ thinks about you and knowing how to have a good time with Jesus and romance Jesus and look into his eyes and get life from the love that he has towards you. That's the foundation of the whole thing. And you can struggle and try and, and, and jump through hoops all your life, but if you don't have that foundation, you're just going to end up tired. The joy comes first. The Sabbath comes first. The rest comes first. Everything else comes as a consequence of that. Never forget what the Lord told us about that woman and showing us what God is like. That woman who swept her whole house. Remember the parable? It's also in Luke 15. Swept her whole house to find that precious coin. And when she finally found that coin... The Bible says she rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And she called her friends and called her neighbors and called her relatives, and she threw a whopping party. And the Lord says, so also does the Lord throw a whopping party for every sinner that comes to repentance. And it doesn't matter a whole lot about how dusty the coin is or about how scratched up the coin is or how bent out of shape the coin is. And it doesn't matter to that lady whether that coin is going to work in any gumball machine. She's got the coin, and that's what's important. That's the foundation for everything. And so that's worth celebrating. Never forget what the Lord says about his relationship with you in Zechariah chapter 3, where he says, I rejoice over you with great joy. I sing, I dance, I clap my hands over you. Maybe this morning you need to take a little bit of time once in a while, put iron brackets around those problems, and get off the merry-go-round of your self-criticism long enough to hear the Lord rejoicing over you. Get off the treadmill of your struggles to see the angels having a party over you. Take a break, a time out of ceasefire from all of your self-criticism long enough to realize that you're saved by grace. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Lord rejoices over you. And he doesn't rejoice over you because you read your Bible enough. He doesn't rejoice over you because you're a good churchgoer. He doesn't rejoice over you because you've saved five people in the last week or haven't saved anyone your whole life. That's not why he rejoices over you. He rejoices over you because he likes to rejoice over you because you're worth it. <laughs> you're worth it. You're worth it because he died for you. He cleansed you. He rejoices over you because it was for joy that he died for you. He rejoices over you because his blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He rejoices over you because in, you, in his sight you are clean and you are spotless and you are redeemed. He rejoices over you because for all eternity he's going to be having a banquet with you and there's something there worth celebrating. He rejoices over you because with you he can have an intimate relationship and for some odd reason he considers that to be a very high priority in his in his list of things, he rejoices over you with great joy. Maybe you're still wondering, what does all this have to do with prayer? 
got everything to do with prayer. Let me just say this. I feel led to say this. I, I want to publicly, I, I want to officially, make this official, e pluribus unum, officially rebuke that, that false view of Christianity, which says that it is all serious, that says that, it, that, that, that view of Christianity where people take themselves way too seriously, that view of Christianity which says that it's all struggle and all duties and all drudgery and all boring and all obligation, that view of Christianity which says that it's anything essentially other than a party, because what it is, as Tony Campolo said in his book, Christianity is a party. What Christianity is, is a party. It's a party celebrating the love of God for us. It's a party where we enjoy God enjoying us. It's a party where we enter into a life-giving, fulfilling, sanctified relationship with our Lord. Never let the issues swallow you up. Never let the issues swallow you up. It doesn't matter how big they are or how small they are. Don't let the quicksand cover up your nostrils and face and, and you struggle harder to stay afloat. In a marriage, it's that foundation of joy. It's the time apart where you just say, issues aside, we're going to have fun. Issues aside, we're going to schmooze one another. We're going to just love one another. Issues aside, let's look into each other's eyes and affirm why we got married in the first place. It's that time that allows you, it fuels you, it gives you energy and motivation to work through the issues. The issues are always going to be there. I really believe that. So it, 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 you're pretty safe on, on putting them on hold once in a while. The nice thing about issues is that they're, they're very patient. Uh, they'll always be there when, you, when, when you're done. But that's what gives you fuel to work through the issues. But if you don't have that foundation, you don't have that life and that fuel and that energy, the issues are going to swallow you up and you lose the original thing. And so it is in Christianity. Ah, oh, there's issues. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be struggle. And the enemy uses that. He's called the accuser. He uses that to worm away your, your self-confidence in Christ. Have times where you just refuse to let that happen and where you just enjoy the Lord. Romance the Lord. I like, the, I like that term. You romance the Lord or have a party with the Lord. This is what I'd like to call Sabbath prayer. A prayer of the Sabbath. A prayer of Shabbat, ceasing where you cease from all worries, all concerns, all issues, all duties, all obligations, and you have only one thing in mind, and that is to look into the eyes of Jesus. A Sabbath prayer where you do nothing more than celebrate. You think about what God's done for you. You rejoice over it. You think about how good God is and the extreme that he went to to save you. You think about what your future is in Christ. A Sabbath prayer where you just... Let Jesus hug you and you look into his face and let his joy surround you. A Sabbath prayer where you just enjoy the beauty of the Lord and the love of the Lord and the peace of the Lord. And I really believe that all spiritual growth, all conquering of issues comes out of those precious foundational times. We're going to talk more particularly about this next week. In fact, everything I said this morning was really a platform for next week. We're going to talk about how to do that. But for right now, just know this. And if the musicians want to come forward, God gives you permission. In fact, God gives you a commandment to have a Sabbath, a time where you bracket everything else and just focus in on the Lord, a time where you affirm that he's far more important than all your problems. Just like you say in a marriage, our time together is far more important than the issues. What we have in common is, is greater than what we have apart. And you affirm your love for one another and joy for one another. What we want to do right now is to have a time where we do that. A time where we set aside all the stuff and all the issues, all the problems, whatever they may be this morning. 
and just affirm that God is greater than them all. Focus in on the Lord. Lay that foundation of love and joy, celebration and romance with the Lord. Let's do it.